Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of No Huddle. Like I always say, if you love college football, you're in the right place. We have a great episode today. We'll be taking a look at the conference schedule for the American Athletic Conference after they released it earlier this week. Then we'll take a look at some of the best quarterback wide receiver duos in the country. I'll also give my thoughts on the possible rule changes coming to college football. And then to end the video, we'll look at my list of the top spring games that we'll need to watch here in the coming months. So let's get things started here. Talk some American football. American Conference schedule just got released earlier this week, like I said. A lot of big-time games for this conference in the non-conference window. Week 0, opening game, you have Navy versus Notre Dame. That game's in Ireland. Big-time opportunity for Navy getting a big-time program like Notre Dame to agree to a non-conference game like that in Week 0. Remember last year, Nebraska-Northwestern played in the Ireland game. That game did pretty well for ratings, so this is huge for the American Conference. On September 2nd, East Carolina, they traveled to Ann Arbor to take on Michigan. Also on September 2nd, Rice, they traveled to play in Austin, Texas to play the Longhorns. And also on September 2nd, this is a big day. Ole Miss also has to play at Tulane. That's probably the biggest game of the day for the conference. Number Tulane, they finished off their season very well beating USC in the Cotton Bowl, biggest turnaround in college football history. And now Lane Kiffin has to take a out-of-conference road game, even though he's in the SEC West, hardest scheduling. Uh, I'd say Auburn probably has a harder schedule just because they play Georgia every year, but Ole Miss, they play the SEC West schedule every single season, and now they have to take a trip to Tulane. Definitely not ideal there for the Rebels. Charlotte gets a Big Ten opponent opponent when they go on the road to play Maryland. On Saturday, September 16th, Oklahoma, they travel and play Tulsa on the road. It's a big opportunity for Tulsa. Also, Alabama travels and plays South Florida on the road. You rarely ever see Alabama take a road game like that. But yeah, they have to travel to Florida to play the Bulls. They finished last in the American last year, so I don't know how much of a test that's going to really be. On that same day, Florida Atlantic, they have a matchup with Clemson. Saturday, September 23rd. Now, September 2nd was a pretty big day, but the 23rd, this might be the biggest day and the biggest opportunity for the American Conference in terms of games outside of the conference. Games that they include UAB at Georgia, Charlotte at Florida, Florida Atlantic at at Illinois. Yeah, they go on the road to play Illinois. Memphis versus Missouri, that game's in St. Louis. Miami Hurricanes, they travel to play at Temple, UTSA at Tennessee. This is a big-time matchup. Frank Harris, the electrifying quarterback for UTSA, he's returning. UTSA was one of the better non-Power 5 teams last year. Now they're headed to Knoxville, take on most likely Joe Milton. Never know Nico could get that starting job, but nonetheless, that's a pretty big game. And then SMU at TCU. This will probably be the night capper, probably the biggest game that day. Sonny Dykes versus former team. TCU after coming off a national championship game appearance, hosting SMU. And then Saturday, September 30th, Boise State at Memphis to end the non-conference. Now, the biggest and most important conference games, when making this list, I looked at the top contenders in the conference. Then from there, I found games that could have the biggest impact. Some of the top contenders I think will be battling for the title in the American Conference are Tulane, UTSA, SMU, and then my dark horse is Memphis. I'm not picking Memphis to win. I just think they're a team that are probably going to be picked near the middle to the bottom 
but they could su- surprise some people and end up at the top. So some of the top conference games include Tulane at East Carolina. That's on November 4th. SMU at Memphis on November 18th. Tulane at Florida Atlantic on November 18th as well. And then on November 25th, UTSA at Tulane. And then back in October on the 13th, Tulane travels to Memphis to play the Tigers. And I have some trap games here for some of the top teams to keep an eye on. November 25th, Memphis at Tulane. Or Memphis at Temple. That game, I don't know where that falls on their schedule in terms of because I know SM, yeah, SMU plays at Memphis on the 18th. So that would be a pretty big game for Memphis. They get to host SMU, but then they have to turn around and travel to Temple, and that's why I think that's going to be a trap game for them. Then you have SMU at Temple, SMU at East Carolina. Those are back-to-back. SMU, prior to that and after that, they have some pretty big games. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And then UTSA at Florida Atlantic on October 21st. Now, UTSA, they're probably going to be right up there, probably top 20, top 25 team to start the year. And they have a pretty good shot at being a one-loss team when this game arrives, given that they play Tennessee. I know not many people are going to pick them to win that game, so they could have one loss. And they could easily look over Florida Atlantic, and that's why I put that as a trap game on there. And then the conference championship game is on Saturday, December 2nd. For the American Athletic Conference. Alright let's head. To the next topic. Let's take a look at some of the best quarterback. Wide receiver duos. In college football. Now this list that I have. This is probably going to be a part one. To a multiple part thing that I do. This is not a ranking. This is just a list. But to start things off. I have Ohio State. With Kyle McCord or Devin Brown. Either one. And then pairing them with Marvin Harrison Jr. Last season, Marvin Harrison Jr., he had 77 catches for 1,200 yards and 14 touchdowns. Remember, he was also a consensus All-American, and his 14 touchdowns were good for fourth in all of the FBS. Now, he didn't win the Blitnikoff, but I think it's fair to say he's probably the best receiver in college football last year, and he's probably going to be the best receiver this year. No disrespect to Jalen Hyatt, I just think Marvin Harrison Jr. was on a different level all of last year. So whoever does win the job here, between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, they're going to have the best receiver in college football to throw to. And Ryan Day calling plays. And both these quarterbacks are very talented. Like We can't over, overlook that and just think, oh, C.J. Stroud, he's leaving. Their offense isn't going to be as good. Because when Justin Fields left after 2020, Stroud stepped in and Ohio State had one of the best passing attacks in all of the FBS these past two seasons. So I feel pretty confident in saying that Kyle McCord given he's probably the favorite to start pairing him with Marvin Harrison Jr. That could be top five, top ten duo in the country. Next on the list, I have Washington with Michael Penix Jr. and Romeo Dunze. Probably the most underrated duo, regardless of position. Two of the most underrated players in college ball. Michael Penix last year, he led the Pac-12 in passing, and he was second in the entire country in terms of passing yards. He threw for over 4,000 yards along with 31 passing touchdowns to eight interceptions. And then Romeo Dunze, like I said, he's probably the most underrated wide receiver. He's finally starting to get that recognition. I see a lot of lists out there. I know PFF, they do their rankings, like best receivers, best running backs, best quarterbacks. And Odunze was right up there for best receivers for 2023, according to the PFF grade. I don't know how much 
you guys pay attention to that, but it does hold some weight given when you turn on the tape and you look at his stats. I mean, he had over 1,100 yards and seven touchdowns last year. And they also had McMillan on the outside too. So this was like a one-two, one-two punch, just like Marvin Harrison and Emeka Igbuka were last year for Ohio State. That's very similar for Washington. I think this is going to be right up there, probably the best statistical duo in the country. They might not have like the best team success like Ohio State could, but these two probably going to have the most passing yards and receiving yards out of anyone on the list. Very talented duo, and I'm excited to watch what Washington does this year. Kalen DeBoer, very successful first year, 10-2 and in the regular season, ending with a bowl game win, finishing 11-2, and very successful, headed into next year. Next up at number three, we got Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning battling out for the quarterback spot. And then you pair one of them with Xavier Worthy. I think that could be a very good duo. We saw glimpses of Quinn Ewers and Xavier Worthy last season. But you know, Quinn, he was playing with an injury. And no one really knows how much that was affecting him. It definitely was affecting him to some extent ever since that Alabama game. Because before he got injured against Alabama, he was lights out playing like the number one recruit he, like he was coming out of high school. And he's got all the tools. Last season, he threw for over 2,000 yards and 15 touchdowns in limited games. He only had six interceptions, too, which is very good. The only concern is he had a very low completion percentage at 58%, which is the lowest among all the quarterbacks on this list. But Xavier Worthy, he had a drop-off in production as well in 2022. From where he was in 2021, remember he bursted onto the scene as a true freshman. Really showed out in the Red River Red River rivalry against Oklahoma. First play of the game, took it to the house, put his name out there. All the spotlight was on him. And then he had a slight drop off last season. He had a couple of huge drops in the Alamo Bowl against Washington. That might have costed Texas the game. Nonetheless, he still had nearly 800 yards and nine touchdowns. He's definitely due for a big 2023, and he definitely has the ability to do so. Next up, I got Jordan Travis and Johnny Wilson at Florida State. Jordan Travis, he was one of the most improved players in 2022. He threw for 3,200 yards, 24 touchdowns, and just five interceptions. He also ran for 400 yards and seven rushing touchdowns. Johnny Wilson also had a very improved season last year after transferring from Arizona State. He had 43 catches for 900 yards and five touchdowns. But the crazy thing is he averaged 21 yards per catch, which led the ACC, and that was second in the FBS. Florida State, this is a program that's on the rise, and I think they're going to be the team that arrives in 2023. And they have a chance to dethrone Clemson, win the ACC, and go to the playoff. Mike Norvell, he's doing a great job in the portal. And then you have a guy like Jordan Travis at quarterback and then Johnny Wilson on the outside, two alphas in the conference. Like This could be one of the best duos, just like I said earlier in the segment. Regardless of position, you have two of the best players in college football on your team. Because Johnny Wilson's a guy you can't leave one-on-one. He's tall. He's athletic. People his size aren't supposed to run like he does. Yeah, drops can be a problem, but when he's on, he's on. When he's having a good game, he's pretty much unstoppable, just like the Louisville game last year, Florida State. That's why I'm very high on this duo headed into next season. Next up, I got Bo Nix and Troy Franklin. They play for Oregon last season. Bo Nix, he was finally unleashed and showed his skills. We all knew he had. It's just we hadn't seen him yet. 
He threw for 3,600 yards, 29 passing touchdowns on a crazy 72% completion percentage. All of those are career highs for him. He also ran for 500 yards and 14 rushing touchdowns. Bo Nix, I mean, there's a point last season, probably headed into the last month, when he was a Heisman candidate. And he was playing some of the best football we've seen out of a quarterback on the West Coast. And I think he had like 42 total touchdowns or like 40 total touchdowns at one point in the season. And the next closest was like 30. And he, he was playing very well last year before he got injured. Yes, Oregon, they lost Kenny Dillingham. He's the head coach at Arizona State now. But they brought in Will Stein. I think that's going to be a very good pairing, giving Bo Nix a guy that likes to pass the ball. Will Stein's a very good quarterback's coach. Just look at Frank Harris at UTSA last year. UTSA was very proficient in their passing game. I think Bo Nix is going to have just as good of a season coming in next year, and a big part of that is having Troy Franklin. Troy, he was a breakout player in the Pac-12 last year. He had 62 catches for nearly 900 yards and nine touchdowns. He's a former five-star recruit, and in 2021 under Mario Cristobal, you just couldn't see that ability. Oregon, they weren't a team to throw the ball over the yard. A lot of running. You kind of fell down the depth chart just a little bit. But once Dan Landon and company, they got on campus, they sold the talent, got him on the field, and what do you know, he had a breakout season. I expect a big season from him. Probably going to go over 1,000 yards, probably 10-plus touchdowns for him. Great weapon for Bo Nix to have. And for the last duo on the list, I have Jaden Daniels and Malik Neighbors. They play for LSU under Brian Kelly. Last season, Jaden Daniels, he threw for nearly 3,000 yards and 17 touchdowns to just three interceptions. He also ran for 900 yards and 11 rushing touchdowns. Malik Neighbors, he had a big-time breakout year last year. He had 72 catches for over 1,000 yards, but he only had three touchdowns. And that's part of the reason why I put them on this list. Because I think Malik Neighbors is going to have that production. He's going to have the catches. He's going to have the yards. But I think Jaden Daniels and him, they're going to be forming some type of chemistry here. You know, Kayshawn Booty, he's gone. He's going to the NFL. So it's time for a new wide receiver one in Baton Rouge. I think Malik Neighbors is going to be that guy. I think Jaden Daniels is a dark horse dark horse for the Heisman. Just like Florida State, LSU, very good season last year. Matter of fact, they play each other in week one next year. And that quarterback battle, that's going to be fantastic. I think the winner of that of that game between Jordan Travis and Jaden Daniels, the winner of that game is going to have a real good shot at being in the Heisman discussion as the season goes on. Now, if that's LSU, that means Jaden Daniels is going to be right there. And having a guy like Malik Neighbors is only going to help his case to win the Heisman. And pro- Possibly put LSU in contention to get to the playoff, win the SEC West again. Probably going to have to play Georgia, but nonetheless, put him in a position to do so. All right, the next segment I want to talk about is the possible rule changes coming to college football. Earlier this week, it was reported that the leaders of college football, many of the top people, were considering four rule changes to speed the pace of the game and shorten games overall. The first one was the clock continues to run after first downs unless it's under two minutes before the half or at the end of the game. Here's my thoughts on this. I am not for this for one reason. I like what separates college football from the pro game. I like how the NFL doesn't stop the clock for a first down. Like I think that's unique to pro football. I think that's unique for the NFL. 
On the flip side, I think it's unique for college football to stop the clock after a first down. And I personally, with all of these, I don't see the need to shorten the games. Like, as a fan, I want to be watching these games as long as I can. Like, I'm here for the ride, the entertainment. Like, I just don't see why we need to shorten the games other than what they said. Health and safety. Like, they want to limit the injuries. They want to limit the amount of plays. Like, are you really... I just don't know if it's going to be limiting enough to the point where we're going to see a drastic change in injuries, targetings. Like, that's just, like, based on the play itself. Like, the play call, what happens after the ball is snapped. Not necessarily how many plays are happening. So, I don't know if I'm a huge fan of this rule. But then the another rule that they were talking about was the clock continues to run after an incomplete pass once the ball is set. Now, this one just goes against football, I think. Like, this just goes against football in general. Like, I don't know. I just don't understand why this is even a thing. Why, like, why we're discussing this. Like, as a football group, like, the leadership, they're viewing this as, all right, let's limit the plays. Let's speed the game up to limit injuries. Now, what I just said is the words of, the leaders of college football, the people who are discussing these rule changes, speeding the game up, limiting the amount of plays to reduce injury. But at the same time, they want to sell the product. They want to have fans watching, changing the game, changing the rules like this, just small things. Like, we already have targeting. First of all, we already have targeting. When a player can get ejected from the game, a player can get ejected from the game for accidental accidental contact and it may look bad because he lowered his helmet or he blindsided someone like maybe they both didn't see each other and that player could could get ejected from the game like we already have that and I already hate that rule like I, I just don't think it's fair to a player I'm getting sidetracked here talking about targeting but my point is like we're changing the game and it's like officiating is taking over or trying to change the rules to just change the game of college football, what separates it from the pro. Like the NFL, they don't have ejections. They don't have targeting. They just have 15-yard personal foul, next play. Okay? That's the NFL. College football, we have an ejection. So we're staying different there. Why can't we just stay different when it comes to time, when when the clock's running, when the clock's not? Like the under two-minute thing for the ball stopping after a first down, that's like a mini two-minute two, two minute warning, right? Like, is that them trying to get closer and closer to possibly having a two-minute warning just to fit in some more commercial breaks? Who knows? I don't I don't know if I'm for either of those, but I am for this third rule. I'm all for this. No more consecutive timeouts to ice the kicker. I think this is one of the most overrated things in college football. You can go look at any stat you want. And every stat just it proves that icing the kicker really has no effect whatsoever. Just just don't call the timeout. See if he misses. Right. Most of the most of the time, if you watch the game, the kicker will actually miss the field goal when you call the timeout. Come back and make it. So I totally understand why this rule could could get passed, and I think it should. Like if you want to limit time, do this instead of changing the game, changing how coaches have to manage the time. Because calling consecutive timeouts to ice the kicker, that's not changing the game. It, like, the clock stopped already. Like, the kicker has to sit there and think about it already. 
Like, is making them think about it more really going to help? Most, of, Like I said, most of the time they go up there and make it anyways after missing the one when you called a timeout. The fourth rule was there would no longer be untimed downs at the end of a quarter on a defensive penalty. The play would then start the next quarter. So here are my thoughts on this. I think this should have been in place a long time ago. I never understood the untimed down, that whole thing. The untimed down really has never made sense to me. So I think this is a good idea. I think starting the next quarter with the play, like with the next play, like it should be, right? The quarter ended. Okay, that was the last play. On to the next quarter. We're going to go right where we left off, start the clock. After the penalty, redo third down, second down, whatever it is. So the first two rules, I'm not sure I'm for them. The whole clock stops after a first down and complete pass. I'm not really for those, but I'm 100% on board with the no more icing the kicker, consecutive timeouts, and then no more untimed downs at the end of quarters. All right, the fourth and final topic for today's episode is spring games that we need to watch some spring games that you guys need to keep your eye on because we're getting close we're getting really close to spring you can feel it coming it's almost almost march already which is crazy to say but we're almost there and number one on my list i'm just gonna start right at the top we're gonna have wisconsin you know new head coach luke fickle is coming in they have new offense coming in as well under phil longo now i think this is going to be the end of an era for Badger football, I think they're going to go totally away from the 12-13 personnel. Tight ends, pound the rock, play slow. Like, that's not how Luke Fickle plays. That's not the type of offense he brought Phil Longo in to run. Phil Longo was at North Carolina with Drake May throwing it all over, lighting up the scoreboard, 40 points per game nearly. Like, I think that's what, that's what we're going to see, and I... Personally, I hope that's what we're going to see. Like, I want the Big Ten to change, especially the Big Ten West. Do you think of Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois? Like, those teams are not explosive at all, and they've all stayed traditional. They've all stick to what they what they became known for, especially Wisconsin. Now, I'm not taking anything away from how the Badgers, like, made their program because they're right up there for running back university. Some of the best running backs we've ever seen have came from Wisconsin. With that being said, you bring in quarterbacks like Tanner Mordecai and Nick Evers to battle out for your starting job. I don't think you're bringing them in to hand it off 65 to 70% of the time. Now, speaking of the quarterbacks, I think Luke Fickle brought in two very talented options that can put Wisconsin in a position to win the Big Ten West. I think they should be the early favorite to win that division. And a big reason... I think that is, they also have Braylon Allen at running back, who's a top five running back headed into next season. I'm also curious to how they'll use him, how he will be utilized in this offense, whether it's the passing game, because we haven't really seen much of him being like a third down back. And then another positive, when you bring in Phil Longo, that's going to help out Braylon Allen a ton. I'm sure some of you guys have seen his Twitter when he said, no more eight and nine man boxes. Now, that may, sound, that may sound crazy, but yes, when you come out in 13 personnel, there's almost no defensive backs or anyone back. There's no threat of a pass for the Badgers, and that's all going away, hopefully. 
Braylon Allen's going to have some easy boxes to run on. He's going to spread out the defense. And he's, I mean, he, let's be honest, he's going to be able to showcase his ability even more. When you have to run between the tackles every play, like you're just going to be showing off your ability to break tackles, you know, yards after contact. But now get him in space, see what he can do. And th I think this could really help his draft stock as well. And I think we're going to learn a lot in the spring game, see what the offense looks like, see if Braylon Allen does get a lot of reps in the passing game. So I'll be, be very curious to see how things go there. The next team, Nebraska, sticking in the Big Ten West. New head coach, Matt Rule. I'm curious to see how the staff chooses to run the spring game. You know, Matt Rule, he's done it in multiple different ways at Temple and Baylor. So I'm curious to see how he does things here. And then you also have Jeff Sims versus Casey Thompson, quarterback battle going on. Personally, I think Jeff Sims is going to win the job. I may be a little biased because I'm a huge Jeff Sims fan. I always thought when he was at Georgia Tech, he was like a one-man band out there doing everything he could. Didn't really have any help. Didn't have help at all, I should say. Like, he didn't really have anyone. He was out there just doing everything he could. And then you have Casey Thompson, who had a pretty good season last year. He came from Texas. Many people expected Scott Frost, you know, Casey Thompson last year. Things could work out. Scott Frost could keep his job, and Nebraska could, you know, be fighting for the Big Ten West. Well, things didn't go that way. New start here. You know, when you bring in a new coach, both the quarterbacks getting seen for the first time. Fresh start. Be curious to see who gets the most reps here in the spring game. Malachi Coleman is another player we need to keep an eye on. He's the true freshman, wide receiver, tight end, do-it-all player. Number two athlete in the class. I'd say Nicholas Harbour is number one, so that puts Malachi Coleman at number two. And if you just go back and watch the Polynesian Bowl, I mean, Malachi Coleman, he was the alpha of the receivers. He was spectacular. He's a guy you can't leave one-on-one. -on -one. He's athletic. Guys his size, they shouldn't be able to run like he does. I mean, the sky's the limit for him. I expect, I expect him to step in day one, be an early contrib early contributor. And I think the spring game is going to be a good opportunity to showcase his skills. And the last thing on Nebraska, their fan base, this is going to be a sellout. This is going to be like opening day of the college football season is what it's going to be. This spring game is going to be crazy. I can't wait to watch it, and I hope you guys tune in as well. The third team on the list, I have Colorado, new head coach Deion Sanders. All the new players, that's what I'm excited for. All the new players he's bringing in. Obviously, his son, the quarterback, Shadira Sanders. You have Travis Hunter, Cormani McLean, and then also another true freshman, Dylan Edwards, at running back. Travis Hunter, I'm curious to see where he's going to be playing. I think Deion Sanders is going to you know, do everything he can to get him on the field as much as possible. You know, The fans are coming to see yeah. Just like Nebraska, this is probably going to be a sellout. Everyone's going to be there. People are coming to watch guys like Travis Hunter, Shadir Sanders. So I think it'd be pretty cool to have Travis Hunter play receiver and a little bit of defensive back. And I think Cormani McLean's going to be out there pretty early. And then I put Dylan Edwards on this list because he's one of the fastest players coming out of high school. Yeah, I think he's due for a big-time moment in the spring game. Like one of those players are like, oh, he's that kind of player. And then another thing, like, what's this offense going to look like under new offensive coordinator Sean Lewis? Sean Lewis, the head coach at Kent State last year, very coveted head coach for all these open positions. He decided to choose an offensive coordinator job at Colorado, which that tells you all, all you need to know about Dion, Coach Sanders, obviously. 
But yeah, I mean, I can't wait to see what this offense looks like. I I don't think they're gonna hold back whatsoever in the spring game. I think it's fireworks. I think it's cameras all over. Right, got to put on a show. I think they're gonna do just that. And just like Nebraska, the energy around this game, you know, I mean, it just can't be understated. Like this game is gonna be on ESPN. Already announced. Probably gonna be the most watched spring game in the country. Besides probably Alabama, just like usual, but yeah, this game, I mean, I'm personally I'm pretty hyped to watch this and I can't wait for it. And that leads us right into speaking of hype, Georgia, defending two time national champions. Who's gonna be getting the reps at quarterback? Yeah, Brock Vandergrift, Gunnar Stockton, and Carson Beck. Along with that, you have who's gonna step on step up on defense, especially in the front seven alongside Michael Williams, you got Barry Alexander in there at defensive tackle. Like, who are going to be some other guys that step up and make a play here in the spring game? I'm curious to see. And the Mike Bobo offense, mixing that with a new quarterback. I mean, it's just a spring game, but I think we're going to get a pretty good idea if it's going to be very similar to last year or not, depending on how many deep shots and the type of personnel that they use. Speaking of personnel, Oscar Delp, probably going to be tight end number two by Brock Bowers. And let's see if he, like, will he stand out in the spring game? Will he make some plays? In a loaded tight end room, they're bringing in some very talented true freshmen. So I think the tight end room probably the biggest alongside the quarterback. But I think the tight end, keep an eye on that. You know, Georgia likes to likes to work their tight ends into the offense. They're definitely going to have a lot of options there. Next up, we got UCLA. You know, Chip Kelly, he's ready for another great season. The Bruins were fantastic last year. Definitely a good season to build upon. Quarterback battle. That's what everyone's eyes are going to be on, and rightfully so. You have Dante Moore, talented five-star true freshman, going up against Colin Schley, the Kent State transfer. This seems like a win-win situation for the Bruins, regardless of who wins it. I think the spring game could, could tell us a whole lot at who has the edge right now, depending on who gets the most reps, who goes out there first. That's just the type of coach Chip, Chip Kelly is. Personally, man, I'm just I'm so excited to watch Dante Moore. Like, I think this dude's a stud. I think he's coming in with the attitude like, I'm going to win this job. And if he puts on a show like he did at the All-American Bowl in the spring game, like, I think he's got it sealed. I think I think the talent's there. I think talent could surpass experience in this situation. And Dante Moore definitely has a lot of talent. Another new guy, they got Carson Steele. He's the Ball State transfer running back. He was top 10 in rushing last year in all of the FBS. Now, this guy... He's a stud at running back. I mean, you look at him, you're, it looks like a, a linebacker out there, really. Especially from, like, the waist up, it looks like a linebacker. He's not afraid of contact. He's going to fit in perfectly well, fill in the void of losing Zach Charbonnet. Imagine being UCLA, right? You're losing Dorian Thompson-Robinson and Zach Charbonnet, and you go and get Dante Moore, a five-star quarterback, Colin Schley from Kent State, He's a very good starting quarterback. He's he's good. I'm not I'm not trying to diss Colin Schley because I like Dante Moore. That's why I said it's a win-win. Like you lose DTR to have one of these two guys be your starter. And then you have Carson Steele, who was one of the best running backs in the transfer portal, to step in for Zach Charbonnet. That's the glory of the transfer portal right there. And I can't wait to watch these two guys I guess these three all play in the spring game. And then my last question about UCLA, will fans show up? Will fans show up to the Rose Bowl 
to possibly watch Dante Moore put on a show, to watch the Bruins, watch Chip Kelly, see what their team's going to be like. And with that being said, you also have to remember that UCLA, their spring game is not like the others I listed here. Like I talked about Matt Matt Rule at Nebraska, like let's see how they run this. Chip Kelly just needs to have like a, a full spring game. Not this scrimmage practice type when we go seven on seven of O-line drills. Just We need to have a game, at least one half. Just play a game. Like I just want to see some guys make some plays. Like that's what the fans want. The fans don't want to show up and watch like a glorified practice scrimmage. They want to watch a game. They want to watch a game just like Colorado is going to have. Everyone's going to be watching Colorado because they're going to be playing a game. Dion's going to have a show going on in Boulder. And UCLA, Chip Kelly, he could waste this opportunity and do what he did last year and have a, just a glorified practice. I hope not. I hope they play a game. I hope he changes view on this. Can't wait to see what he does. And the last team on the list, I have the Texas A&M Aggies. Now, some of the attention is off of Texas A&M after they had all of it a year ago at this time. They had all the attention, signing the number one recruiting class, all this talent. People were picking them to win the SEC, go to the playoff, all that. But now, no one's talking about them, right? Like, people just don't talk about Texas A&M. They're like, oh, five and seven, okay? Like, they're going to be the same thing next year. Well, who knows, right? They could easily flip that around. And it all starts in spring, spring practice, the spring game. Quarterback, Connor Wegman. You have to know the name. This kid's very talented. He was held back last year. A lot of other things going on inside the locker room, off the football field for this team. Connor Wegman, he was a very solid player. And he, his character is very high level. Like, this kid could be a leader for them. And you bring in Bobby Petrino, a quarterback coach, offensive coordinator. I don't know how him and Jimbo are going to gel together. That's still going to be a question mark up until probably week 10, right? <laughs> probably going to. Probably going to be a question mark until, like, the end of the season. Like, we're just never going to know. Two total opposite type type of coaches here. Nonetheless, like, this, I think this is going to work out. I think this is a good move for Jimbo, showing that he cares and he knows what he had to do to change. Change, like, the culture, change the, the style of play. Like he knows he had to change. He knows why they were bad last year. But in terms of the spring game and what we need to be watching for, like, how's this operation going to be ran? Is Petrino going to be on the field next to the Jimbo? Or is he going to be in the booth watching things overhead? I don't know. I don't know what the best thing is to do. I think Bobby Petrino can afford to sit upstairs just because Jimbo, I mean, he, he's a good quarterback coach. He coached Jameis Winston, won a Heisen, won a national championship. So you already have Jimbo on the sideline, you know, after the drive, Connor Wegman come over, you know, talk to him. Petrino has the eyes upstairs calling the plays. So I'm definitely curious to see how things go there. And Texas and like I said, they were the final team on this list. And yeah, that's going to do it for today's video, guys. Let me know your thoughts down below. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to leave a like and subscribe to the channel before you head out. And I'll catch you in the next video.